Good evening. Welcome Wednesday evening chapel. Uh, how about if we finish the race and keep the faith? All in favor say aye. Okay, one more time. Finish the race, keep the faith. A couple of things I need to do at the beginning. Uh, last night in chapel, the Associated Student Government uh, introduced the Living Water Program. Um, you gave $148. Not bad for first time, so congratulations. It's an offering that they'll be taking around campus and also in the uh, chapel foyer on a regular basis. Um, can I see the hands of the Associated Student Government people that are here? Um, if you want to know more about Living Water, go find them. Okay. Speaker this evening is Mrs. Barbara Hornbeck. She is an educator, administrator. She is the secretary for the executive committee of the Nazarene Bible College Board of Trustees. I give that all together. And she came a day early uh, to be in chapel with us, and she's going to minister uh, in a little bit. She's come from California. Would you welcome her? Uh, we're going to begin, as we typically do, with some songs, and the songs will help us recognize what God's been doing in our lives and uh, give us a chance to say thanks. So stand, would you? We sing that song with confidence because you've proven it to be true. You've proven it to be true. We have seen you work in our lives. You, we have seen you work in the lives of others. Uh, we know you make a way. So I want to offer, on behalf of my brothers and sisters in Christ, all those places in their lives that need you to work a new way for them. We trust you with it even before we see it. We anticipate it even before we can describe it. educator, but what Alan didn't tell you is that I am by profession a junior high math teacher. <laughs> so when Alan contacted me and asked me to come and speak in chapel, my immediate response was, I can't do that. Um, this isn't something I normally do. Uh, I would much prefer to give you a wonderful lesson. I can do an excellent lesson for you on the derivation of the quadratic formula. 
Now, wouldn't that really just bless your hearts? If, if there's anything you don't understand about word problems, come and ask me. I, I, know, I know that really well. However, God checked my spirit and said, you know, Barbara, one of your fundamental beliefs about life is that whatever you have gone through, if it can be used to help other people, then you have an obligation. And so it is in that spirit that I am here. A number of years ago, we learned a great piece of philosophy from Forrest Gump. And you all know it. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. This evening, what I want to share with you comes from some thoughts that I have had about ways in which I feel life is like a river. And I'd like to begin with peace like a river. As Christians, we believe it, we talk about it, we sing about it, but what does it really mean to us? Shortly after my husband died in October of 2006, I went to the Bible bookstore and I was wandering around and I came across a Bible study workbook by Beth Moore. Now, I had never read any of her things before. She had been highly recommended to me and so I picked it up and I bought the Bible study workbook and I started doing it. And Beth Moore has a very interesting, insightful view of scripture and its application to life. One of the lessons in the book was entitled, To Experience God's Peace, which, trust me, after losing a spouse, was a pretty good idea. And here's some of what she said. A river is a moving stream of water. God's word does not say that we will have peace like a pond. When God used the analogy of a river, he described a peace that can be retained while life twists and turns and rolls over boulders. Every river, of course, has a source and an ultimate destination. Beth Moore went on to say, peace like a river flows from a continuous connection with the upland source, Jesus Christ. Amen. We who know Christ are continually moving over rocks and sometimes cliffs through narrow places and wide valleys as we move to our heavenly destination. Now, I want you to think about a river that you have seen that is like that, moving over rocks and sometimes cliffs through narrow places and wide valleys. It would be great if we could just break up into little groups and discuss the rivers that we're thinking about 
but I would like to tell you that the river that immediately came to my mind is the Zambezi River in Africa, which is the fourth longest river in Africa. And the spot that immediately came to my mind is Victoria Falls. Now you have probably heard that name before, but the, the description of it is very different from any other falls that I have seen anywhere, or, you know, basically when I've read up on it since then, that it's, it's a pretty unique thing. So here we are. When you come to see the falls, you come on land that is straight across from the falls. The whole area is a huge, wide, arid plateau. Here in Colorado, you have rivers and beautiful mountains and canyons. That's not what I'm talking about. There is this very wide, meandering river, and it flows, and it comes to a certain point, and at this certain point, this river is actually one mile wide. And it is at this point that it cascades straight down into this chasm. This chasm is about 400 feet deep, and only uh, the river has to go somewhere then, doesn't it? You know, when, when I went and saw Victoria Falls, I didn't think about what happens to the water after it comes over the falls. I mean, you're just pretty fascinated by the falls. But what happens to it is it comes to a very narrow gorge. This narrow gorge, which is the outlet for the whole river, is 360 feet wide. Now, as, as a football fan, when I say 360 feet, what I visualize is football field plus end zones, okay? So, one mile wide, squeezed down to 360 feet wide. The math teacher in me compels me to do a, a math problem for you. If you take 5,280 feet, one mile, and you divide it by 360 feet, then that is 14 and two-thirds approximately. Or in other words, when that water cascades down into that chasm, it becomes a whole lot deeper. That's all it can do. It becomes nearly 15 times as deep. And so when we, in our lives, come crashing over cliffs, and we have these episodes, and we think, I can't make it, the depth of the water sort of, it's turbulent, and we say, where is our peace? But our peace is still there. And I want to remind you of that fact. There are dramatic in our events that we just think we cannot endure. We find ourselves in a gorge. Now, what I didn't tell you about the gorge at Victoria Falls is, it doesn't then come out into the nice wide river again, oh no. It goes on into a series of gorges. They twist, they turn. Sometime when you have a minute, Google Victoria Falls on your computer. There will be a link for Wikipedia, which is my favorite link. And there's one little line there that says Victoria Falls Gorges. And there's a great satellite view picture of this whole thing. 
And what you'll see up here is all of these fingers of the river coming down here. And about the middle of the picture, there's just this little line, and you'll recognize it because it's a little bit of white there. That's Victoria Falls. Below it, it's just a little jagged line. And that's where all of that water has to go. And that's where it has to keep on going. Now in our lives, when we have an episode like that, the first thing we do is we cry out to God and we say, deliver me. We say, take me out of here. And that's not only the first thing we do, that's usually the second and third thing we do. And then we call all the prayer groups in church and we're all praying for deliverance. But that, in my experience, is not always God's plan. Instead, he uses these days, these weeks, these months, and even these years to mold us and shape us and help us to become what he wants us to be. I'm going to share a brief sequence of events from my own life that was very much like this. In December of 2004, Ralph and I flew, I, I live in the Los Angeles area, we flew to Honolulu to spend about 10 days in the islands with my sister. As we were in the airplane, Ralph, who had Parkinson's disease, said to me, I'd like to use the restroom. So I said, okay. So knowing that he was unsteady on his feet, I stood behind him and he was getting ready to go into the restroom. And he said to me, I think I'm going to faint. Now, being a very intelligent medical person here, I said, oh, no, you're not, honey. <laughs> he didn't say anything, but he was still standing, so that was a good sign. So I spoke his name. He didn't say anything. I was standing behind him. I patted him on the cheek. And with that, he slumped to the floor. We were two hours away from Honolulu. Believe me, we had the full attention of the stewardess. Uh, she immediately called for medical personnel on board. There were two medical doctors and two RNs. They, uh, of course, questioned me about all of his medical history, everything that he was taking. He was still out cold when the plane landed in Honolulu. Now, you, you've all flown on Southwest Airlines type planes. That's the kind of plane we were on. He was stretched across the galley in the front of the plane, like right behind the cockpit, all the way across to the exit door. He was six feet five, so he was occupying quite a bit of space. And uh, when the plane pulled up to the jetway in Honolulu, I cannot begin to describe to you the feeling of looking in the jetway and seeing paramedics standing there waiting for someone that you love. So they, they made everybody else get off the back end of the plane. And uh, the paramedics came and put him on the gurney. The gurney was still down low when they took him through the jetway. As soon as they got him into the waiting area, they popped the gurney up and for some reason he went into a full body seizure. Now he's still out cold. And so, I mean, those paramedics strapped him down and they started running to their ambulance. I am carrying all of our carry-on bags and running as fast as I could after them. I barely got to the ambulance before they pulled away. Well, as I was in the emergency room, 
waiting to see what was going to happen. I was very calm and I was just sitting there and all of a sudden I was aware that there was a song playing in my mind. It was one of those wonderful hymns that we know so well. Words of assurance that God was there and very, very real. Um, I won't give you everything that happened. He did come to before that night, but we spent six days in the hospital in Honolulu, which was not where we were intending to be at all. Um, when, we, when it came time for them to discharge him and send him home, I was not, I, I couldn't get the airlines to change the tickets for me. We had flown on Aloha Airlines, but we had flown on United Airlines miles. Well, you know, so I had to call United and they tried to get it changed and then we were going back and forth. So I was investigating all of these ways to get back at the cost of many, many hundreds of dollars. My sister and I were sitting in his hospital room talking and a very cute young RN came in and was working on him and then she politely came over to me and she said, excuse me, what airline are you on? And I said, well, we're on Aloha. And she says, well, my mom is like the chief ticket agent or something like that for Aloha. Maybe she could help you. And help she did. We ended up with two first class seats on the day and the flight that we needed to come home. Needless to say, I was pretty apprehensive about putting him on another airplane. So the day of our flight, I was standing behind his wheelchair. He was going to be loaded on first. Uh, uh, an attendant, an airline attendant was there with me. And as I was standing there, from my left hand side, a man approached. And it was one of those two MDs. And he was going to be on this same flight. And so he, he was checking on how things were going and, and we were talking and then from my right hand side, here came the other one. Can you imagine that? Both of those MDs on the very same flight that we were going back on. Did I feel like I was on angel's wings or what? Well, as I look back over the last few years of my life, I am aware that God has used these experiences and so many others to change me. I'm sure that you know what river rocks look like. You know, they're round and smooth. They don't get that way by sitting on the bank of the river, do they? No. They get that way by years and years and years of being pounded on by the water and by being pounded on by the other rocks, too. And so, as we go through life, we don't become what God intends for us to be without being subjected to the forces of the water and the other rocks. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And by that scripture in my Bible, 
I have written river rocks. Isaiah 48, 17 and 18 tells us, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Now I would like to restate that last part for us. If we pay attention to his commands, our peace will be like a river and our righteousness like the waves of the sea. May God's peace like a river flow in each of our lives today and always. Let's pray. Lord God, we acknowledge that your peace is like a river, even in the gorges of life. That your purpose is being fulfilled, even in the gorges of life. And we acknowledge, O oh Lord, that there is no shortcut to becoming a river rock, and we give you permission to do with us as you will. In the name of Jesus, amen.